Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, GoodPods, TuneIn Radio, YouTube Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As for our social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have our email address, which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So either via social media or via email, you can reach out with any suggestions, any topics, any feedback. It's always welcome and appreciated. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. Thank you so much for the support. And if you haven't checked out the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. It was a great episode about the discovery of a novel bacterial species, which is Variovorax durovernensis. And the team behind the discovery, they joined the podcast and they talked about the whole process from the, the case where they found the organism, which is gram negative, the testing they perform, how it was ultimately discovered as a new species of Variovorax, and why the name Durovernensis. It was a great episode. I had a great time recording it. So if you haven't checked it out, please go ahead and do so. And before I talk about what this episode is about, as always, you know, if, if you are looking to learn more about antibiotics, please check out www.learnantibiotics.com and the Learn Antibiotics book available on Amazon. These resources include cheat sheets, practice tests, games, and more. They are being used by thousands of people worldwide and may be helpful for you or your colleagues. So I invite you to check out these resources. So today's episode is about next generation sequencing. And those of you that work in the microbiology lab, you know how much the lab has changed from the traditional testing and then Molotov, you know, we start seeing more and more names of organisms. We are able to identify more organisms and even discover new ones. And you know that sometimes you are unable to identify an organism and you send it out and it is ultimately identified by gene sequencing. So this is a trending topic in microbiology. On today's episode, Dr. Jose Alexander and Daniel Navas from Advent Health Orlando in Florida, they joined the podcast to talk about next generation sequencing and how they implemented it in the lab. So they talk about nanopore technologies, how it works. They talk about the whole process from the validation, the selection of the organisms. And they initially started doing it for mycobacteria and eventually validated it for bacteria. So it was a great conversation listening to them talk about the whole process and how you are now learning about more organisms and you are being able to identify more things. And also, it is very nice to see a fellow medical laboratory scientist, which Daniel Navas is, talk about this whole process. And Daniel is a technical coordinator at Van Hell in the lab, and he will definitely explain that in the episode. But one thing that he said that I like is that when initially he was assigned this project, he admits you know, that, that he knew very little about the subject. But one thing a good microbiologist does, right, is repetition and education so he definitely took classes he started watching videos doing research 
and ultimately came up with a pretty good understanding of how gene sequencing works. And this is something that you, the audience, this is something that always I invite you to do, right? Look up your resources, do research, and that is how you grow as a microbiologist. So overall, great episode, and I hope you enjoy learning about gene sequencing. So let's go ahead and listen to it. So maybe if you are a medical laboratory scientist student or you're a microbiology student or you just work in the lab already and you definitely hear terms like uh, next generation sequencing, you hear terms like whole genome sequencing. Maybe you send an organism that you couldn't identify in your lab and then when it comes back you see, you know, it was or you read it on an article that it was ultimately identified by whole genome sequencing, right? So today we're here to talk more about that. I always enjoy how this, how this platform, you know, it allows me to talk to guests from different parts, but it's always special when I get to do it right at home. So today's guests are from Advent Health. Uh, one of them, he was already a guest before episode 73, uh, an episode about Amoeba, which is Dr. Jose Alexander. And with me today, I have also Daniel Navas. Um, Dr. Alexander and Daniel, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Alois, thank you. Thank you for having me. Definitely a pleasure. So I already uh, you know, uh, said your names and where you work at. So can you, for the audience, talk a little bit about what you do at Advent Health, please? Hi. So, um, so yeah, my name is Daniel Navas. I am the technical coordinator at microbiology department at Advent Health Orlando. Um, my role as a technical coordinator is to basically validate new testing methodologies and systems that come into uh, the market or the field and also uh, train train the staff in all these new methodologies. All these projects can include things um, like susceptibility, new antimicrobial susceptibility testing. Uh, it can include things like um, establishing a, a bacteriophage bank and our re most recent project, which is um, implementing a DNA sequencing protocol in our lab. Well, um, my name is Dr. Jose Alexander. I'm the medical director for the microbiology department. Um, I work closely with uh, both of you, with Daniel and with you too, Luis. Um, so part of my role is the technical oversight of the laboratory and being able to um, guide some of the process um, for validation, but also for um, the technical process that we follow in the laboratory as part of the day, -day part of the um, standard operation procedures. And I also have a clinical role that uh, is as a microbiology consultant with a physician and other departments as infection prevention and pharmacy. Helping um, coordinating within the operation of the laboratory, the um, partnership that we have, cooperation, but also um, assistant with interpretation and even beyond um, in some cases with infection disease physician to try to find specific treatment for patients that have multiple resistance. All of that information and all of that conversation basically go from the perspective of the capability that we have in our laboratory to be able to perform testing for new antimicrobials, to be able to explore synergistic activity, to be able to explore resistance mechanisms and integrated this type of knowledge into the discussion for an advanced and maybe more precise treatment for some of those patients. Excellent. So definitely you know, welcome again. So now that, you know, so we do hear terms like uh, next generation sequencing and whole genome sequencing and uh, 
I guess, you know, Daniel, can you talk a little bit more about what's the difference between, you know, uh, NGS, next generation sequencing and WGS, whole genome sequencing? Sure. Okay. So um, NGS or next generation sequencing is defined as the, is a technology used to determine the sequence of DNA by sequencing thousands of strands simultaneously. It was uh, initially called massively parallel sequencing because um, it enabled sequencing many of DNA strands at the same time. And this is compared to the more traditional methods like uh, Sanger, um, Sanger sequencing, which is one strand at a time. And then whole genome sequencing is a type of NGS, which allows for, um, it provides for analysis of uh, uh, organisms like complete genome compared to more um, targeted sequencing approaches like 16S and um, things like that. Thank you. And so that brings the question, uh, so how does it work? So NGS um, is, is divided into different steps. Uh, as far as just DNA sequencing, you first need uh, DNA extraction and purification. So there's different methods to do this. There's different uh, instruments and kits and all these different methods like uh, spin column based or there's uh, magnetic bead based, like silica based. Uh, in our specific protocol, we have a in-house validated extraction protocol, which is uh, more of a like a cell disruption. We use a uh, glass bead tubes and we uh, put in a bead beater, we do sonication, and we really uh, disrupt the cell wall and able to uh, get that DNA, and then we do a centrifugation. And that's kind of our, our, our in-house validated protocol, more for identification purposes. But there are more, there are other extraction protocols that give you that, um, what you call ultra pure DNA, which um, different kits and stuff, uh, we use those for when we have more, uh, more significant uh, applications like uh, genomic uh, epidemiology or um, looking for resistant markers or something like that. So that's the first step would be just, your, you know, extracting your DNA. And then once you have your DNA extracted, you have the library preparation. So library preparation includes adding your barcodes, unique barcodes that are used for multiplexing. Uh, you also have uh, the addition in, in our case for our, our protocol, the addition of a, a rapid adapter. Uh, this is has um, the, the rapid adapter has the motor protein in it, which allows for the attachment of the DNA strands to go into the uh, what they call the nanopore, the nanopores. Uh, and then once you have the library prepped, you have to load it into a sequencing instrument. So there are other, you know, there's different types of sequencing instrument. Uh, for us, we're using the uh, Oxford nanopore, Minion M Mark One C. It's a small portable device that performs uh, base calling live. And then once you have, uh, you know, once you put it into your uh, sequencing instrument, you go into data analysis and there's uh, different ways to analyze data. There's the like, cloud-based or uh, local data analysis that could be performed. Um, uh, for us in our lab, we, uh, we use uh, Nanopore's uh, cloud-based analysis called the WIMP or the What's in My Pot. And then we also have uh, local analysis that we can do using the Kraken uh, workflow, which is, um, uh, has a larger database and can be used for different applications like uh, resistant markers and stuff. But that's a, like a quick summary of it. Excellent. So um, one of one of the one of the interesting thing is just to complement what actually Annie mentioned. Um, we also trying to look for a perspective that was adaptable to a microbiology laboratory. 
Um, and I think actually Daniel can share some of the picture of the bench where we perform the NGS and you can put some of those pictures in the podcast and, and the device. But the way the microbiology laboratory normally operate, so we are required to have a rapid turnaround time to be highly efficient on the way that we operate. So when we implementing um, Maldi-Top or when we implement um, um, any PCR method, we need to adapt these instruments and these tests to the operation of a laboratory. So if you see around most of the NGS platform and, and, and solutions, a highly focused in oncology, in a highly in a highly advanced laboratory, or at least in a way that is distributed with the main focus of the department is molecular diagnostics. And we know that many microbiology laboratories are not built in that way. So to be able to bring NGS, um, and how just Daniel mentioned, we needed to be able to develop some in-house protocols. So we were able to do it without instruction. Right? So we need to have a 30-minute rapid physical disruption that give us enough DNA for an accurate and, and a reliable identification, but it's also rapid and simple that we don't require additional reagents, more time, or instrumentation for the extraction. So that process for rapid identification of microbacteria, fungi, uh, sorry, bacteria, and now we are um, exploring the option for yeast and molds, is part of the, the, the core component of the NGS that we develop in Health. The process from that perspective, library preparation, following the manufacturer recommendation, the equipment, the two different analytic platforms, the WIM, that is our, our basic and um, to-go uh, identification platform, but we also have the Kraken, that based on the validation that was performed, we know when we need to use it. The best example, mycobacterial abscessus. Mycobacterial abscessus uh, group um, is Required a lot more of DNA and more quality DNA to be able to differentiate between the resilience and abscessus species. So, being able to modify, use a different approach for the extraction, but even being able to use the cracker can give us the option to actually differentiate between species from that group. So, part of the validation also considered the, the complexity of some organism and to what point we need to report a complex a group, what to what a point we feel comfortable and confident enough to perform a species. Um, and the validation uh, process actually demonstrates that. With the database that we have, and with the process that we develop, the organism is in the database, we have over 99% agreement in the validation. That is, is, is excellent from the perspective of validating NGS in a rapid microbiology lab. So if you see the NGS approach with a 24 hours turnaround time, Everything can be set up in probably two hours. And the analysis, the run is overnight, and by the next morning, we are already analyzing the data. So that's how we used to, we used to use Vitec before, before the Maldita. So you set up an ID card, and you wait until the next day to be able to have, right? Even when you know that some of the ID can come in less than 24 hours, you normally wait until the next day. So we have the same approach now for mycobacteria. So for the first time, we have the capability to identify more than 99% of mycobacteria in just 24 hours. Awesome. That's amazing. Um, and I know, so you, 
you and for those of you for those of you that maybe you know might be just starting to listen to the episode now for some reason or anything just you know we're talking about how NGS was brought to a microbiology lab and definitely you know Dr. Alexander touched on the on some of the the challenges that it comes and I wanted to ask you know um so as far as is that what led you to to implement it to try to maybe you know bring more identifications like overall so what what led you to bring it to the to the hospital? So the implementation of the NGS started um, from the perspective of the capabilities that we've been expanding. So uh, as you are aware, or microbiology lab and other health are expand, being expanding rapidly in the last few years. Um, we have now more capability for testing. We are able to um, um, identify um, organisms with new different approach and have a whole different perspective from um, uh, bench work and also the susceptibility aspect of expanding. But one of the limitations that we have is the identification of certain organisms in our facility because we depend heavily on the mouthwash. That is the most advanced identification method that we have. Even when we try to validate mouthwash for AFB and fungi, we always find limitations. So beside that, we use a lot of reference laboratories for microbacteria. Um, for microbiology, they're probably familiar with the gem probe. Uh, the gem probe uh, is this really old platform that was able to identify a very few microbacteria group like TB, MAC. So the equipment was um, discontinued last year. So we went into the process to get a different approach for microbacteria. It was one developing a multiplex PCR panel, a whole LDP in house, or get the approach of NGS. So the NGS give us the opportunity to be expand the capability of identification, being able to include bacteria and molds, but even to explore NGS in its near future for good example. So the idea was to be able to bring a solution in-house for microbacteria that we can expand in the future, but it's also cost-effective. Um, just as a rough approximate, for NGS, per sample, or maybe from this perspective, or NGS for isolate from plate or from liquid media for a mycobacteria is cheaper than many of the multiplex PCR that are currently in the market. So for us, and when you compare that with some of the reference laboratories, especially for IFB identification, it's a significant cost saving to do this processing house. We have control over the process. We are able to expand and adapt to any change, but at the same time, we are able to expand our knowledge in that particular technique that we can expand to other solutions in the future. So, in general, being able to reduce costs, increase our knowledge on this approach, and have a flexible platform for future application, not only for identification of isolates, but to be able to run directly from sample. So, it's, it's kind of like mix of, of, of needs and, and ideas that we have from the beginning. And I think uh, so far, if we work with probably better than we consider. Um, um, and to be honest, the first step to getting to NGS can be, as, I would say scary, can be confusing because you don't know how to start. But when you own the process, like we did in Avenue Hell, I mean, it's, it's really not as challenging. And especially if you are specifically focusing on infection disease. So, 
So definitely that's, you know, I was going to ask about the process for, for identifying mycobacteria and you touched about on the, on the gen probe. And, um, so I just had some questions about, uh, maybe if we can talk a little bit about, uh, the Oxford nanopore technologies and then, you know, how does it work and, you know, how do you analyze the data? Sure. So, um, Oxford nanopore technologies is a, it's a company, I believe is based in the, in the UK. Um, it's a, uh, they have a novel technology of, of DNA or, or RNA sequencing that provides data in a fast, uh, accessible and, and easy to use. And, um, they're mostly involved in, I believe, research, uh, environment, but, uh, they have started to expand into other fields like, um, environmental education, and of course, healthcare in a uh, research use only format. And as far as how it works, um, so nanopore has what they call the flow cells and the flow cells have a bunch of tiny little holes, which are called nanopores. These are attached to a sensor chip, uh, that, that transfers the data. And in the nanopores, there's a current or a consistent electrical current flow that flows through it. So with this, uh, current that passes through it, whenever there's a, a DNA nucleotide passes through the little nanopore, it disrupts that uh, electric flow. The nanopore, the device is able to, to uh, distinguish this characteristic uh, disruption or what they call squiggle. So this squiggle is then um, decoded into different, the different nucleotide bases. So the A, T, C, and G, or if you're doing DNA, so depending on what passes through the nanopore, it disrupts that current of flow, it produces a squiggle, or and then that squiggle is then decoded into the different um, bases. And that's how, and then you get your sequence. And then um, as far as analyzing, the base calling is performed, you could, it's performed live, live in the instrument, or it could also be done offline using a different uh, application. But uh, then you have your base call data, and then you're able to put this into a into a, a, a application like a cloud-based platform like the WIMP or the What's in My Pot, or you can put it into the local analysis platform like the Kraken, and you put it in there, put the what they call the FastQ data into that uh, software, and then it would be able to give you, um, for our purposes, identification, or uh, maybe if you're doing something else, uh, but um, yeah, that's basically it we have challenges and then we overcome those challenges. We bring the tests in and then the question that comes right to where every technologist or people thinking and listening on the audience is right. How do we validate this? Um, you know, about, about like, uh, ongoing QC and things like that, that pop to mind. So can you talk a little bit about the, the validation process of this? Yes, definitely. So <clears throat> the validation process, uh, included a lot of different factors, um, included things like, uh, uh, evaluating different extraction protocols to what kind of quality DNA you need for your actual process included um, looking at all the different uh, library kits that Nanopo provides. Um, they have different flow cell types as well that uh, that have different amount of uh, capabilities as far as data produced. Uh, finding out how much, uh, how many different samples we're going to multiplex, uh, and then of course the how long are we going to sequence for. Uh, so we evaluate all these different factors. Um, the actual validation was uh, over, uh, we did 120 microbacterial isolates. Uh, it included um, the rapid growers, it included uh, streptomyces as well, it included um, aerobic actinomycetes, uh, nocardia. We also included tuberculosis in there, uh, microbacterial tuberculosis complex as well in there. 
So we had a total of 120 isolates. Uh, we compared the, the identification that we received from the Nanopore protocol compared to uh, the reference laboratory identification that we had. And uh, we just did an analysis that way. It was definitely uh, successful. It was over 99% successful in identification for those organisms that were included in the database. And um, as far as uh, QC, we, we do have a, a process in which we have um, a positive, ex external positive QC and a negative QC. For positive QC, we just chose an organism, uh, uh, a known organism, known QC, ATCC organism is Cornobacterium striatum. And we have that in, we include that in all, all of our runs. We put it through the entire process to make sure that we're uh, doing the extraction process right, the, uh, the library preparation and also the data analysis right. And then we also have a negative QC, which is just molecular grade water, which we also include in the entire process as well to look for any um, external factors or any kind of maybe contamination issues or anything that we might have. So we included that as well in our validation process. So um, one of the one of the interesting aspects that um, Daniel was mentioning is, so if when we see typical validation process for NGS, we need to evaluate uh, the, the efficiency of the structure, the quality of the DNA. Um, so those are important factors. But the validation, the way that we describe the validation, using um, and also making sure that we have like this support, the pillar of support for our process was using the CAP uh, molecular pathology um, um, checklist, but also the microbiology checklist. So we needed to make sure that we are in in in, in agreement with this checklist and this process. So, but the validation was described for the process is well, we have multiple modifications and we have multiple solutions that we've been implemented. Can, are we able to reproduce the identification of those organisms using this different process and validating to the, during um, the beginning to the end? We started using, trying to do extraction and then we came with the idea to well, a physical disruption and the amount of DNA was enough for identification. Maybe it's not the most clean and high quality DNA for a whole epidemiological or whole genome sequence epidemiological investigation, but is enough for identifying the organism. Um, we explore different kits, we explore different reagents. Um, the same thing with the database. So thing that we find out, we do a whole genome sequencing with one organism only. We are able to multiplex six organisms in one flow cell plus two quality control, external control. Um, using barcoding. So, in, in, technically, with only five reads for, per isolate, we are able to identify the organism with a 99% accuracy. So, that's one, one aspect. The other aspect is what is the percentage of all the reads for that particular um, barcode, and what is the percentage that is applicable for the organism that is the predominant one. We are able to, we also were able to identify patterns of where the organism is known in the database. So the, the validation only gives us the, the sensitivity and all the specification that we calculate statistically, but also give us idea to identify when something is not right or when something is not working as appropriate. Like the pattern of the identification of the, the call that the, the database gives you when the organism is known in the database, is very characteristic that you know this organism is known in the database. When you have a specific complex or group, you are able to recognize if you are able to identify that complex or group 
in a species level or not. So we need to move to another platform. Um, so that was all part of the validation and the, the adding the external quality control was also key. The streptococcus, um, the, sorry, the, the cornebacterium is triatum. Um, actually with a low concentration, it still is able to be identified. So that's something that we're trying to do too, have the streptococcus, um, sorry, the cornebacterium is triatum in a low concentration. So in that way we know that we are able to pick and don't use the whole flow cell in, in some of the quality control. Negative quality control also um, being able to monitor any potential contamination during the process. So if this a very orthodox um, um, validation process, no, because this was adapted to or capability. It was adapted for workflow or staffing or space. Um, so we have an area dedicated to this, but we are not doing amplification literally. So what we're actually doing is using whole genome. We need more DNA, we use more colonies. Um, we need to clean DNA, we have a cleaning process. So we need better quality DNA for specific isolate like mycobacterium accessory group. We, are, if we have another process that we actually integrate the validation for better quality DNA, but it's a little more time consuming, costly, so we don't do that routinely. So the process was specifically adapted for the needs and the capability that we have. And I think that's, for us, is being the best way to implement NGS. Definitely touch on the things that I was going to ask, you know, what worked well, you know, and some of the challenges. And I also, so there was, um, you know, now that you mentioned, well, before that, so you did it with, uh, as a, or the organisms were grown on solid media. And that's the, the type of... Uh, the samples that you use, right? And um, and then you mentioned, you know, about a uh, mycobacterium abscessus. So, from what I understand, that that was a challenge at first, but then not anymore. Or how did that work when you were doing the the validation? So, actually, in our validation, we did include um, from solid media, but also directly from the uh, midget broth tube. So we did validate both specimen types. Uh, solid media included. Uh, you know, the LJ slants, Middlebrook, chocolate agar, we, we validated from multiple different media types, but also uh, we have a process that we validated which, in which we use a concentrate from the midget broth to, to identify it. So that was also included in the validation. And then as far as the uh, obsessive group, so for, for obsessive group, um, that was, I guess, one of the first challenges we encountered was when we're, we're uh, identifying mycobacterium obsessive group, uh, our current or our protocol, extraction protocol, the quality of DNA that we were getting really only got, allowed us to get to the to the uh, complex uh, part. So mycobacterium abscessus group, but for that group is specifically important to get to the subspecies level. So either abscessus abscessus, abscessus boletti or uh, mycelansis. So for that one, we did have to uh, uh, we did have to validate a separate process for that, which gives us the, the really pure DNA and then, uh, but once we did that, we were able to to subspeciate it and and it correlated very well. So now we're able to um, uh, once we get an abscessus group result, we're able to then go to that same sample, um, reprocess it using a using the uh, other uh, more uh, stringent uh, DNA uh, purification process, and then then we're able to uh, sub subspeciate. Okay, and uh, there were also some challenges with the with the database. I understand, right? Yeah, so um, of course, um, it's going to be 
the NGS identification is going to be uh, depending on the database that you use. So we validated two different databases, the the WIMP and then also using the Kraken database. They use two different databases. Um, but we did notice that uh, during our validation that 3% of, of the organisms that we tested were not in either one of the, the database. So that's one of the challenges, one of the issues that we, we, we had. But um, it was only 3% of it. So in that case, if we do encounter that and we were, we know the characteristics of when the result uh, look what the what it looks like when it's not in the database where we're, we're you know we're pretty sure when it's not in a database uh, based on the um how it looks on the report then from there we're able to uh if we can't bring it to a more uh if it's not part of a complex or something we can report if it's if it's like uh if we're able to to report out maybe um a complex level like a uh, mac or a CMA complex or uh, for two of them uh we're able to um at that point then we will have to send it out to a reference site, but it was a very few amount of the samples, only about 3%. Um, so what about as far as, you know, next steps, any other, um, you know, we're going to Dr. Alexander touch on it a little bit, uh, but what's next for this test? So we have the capability for identifying isolate from media and, and liquid media for AFP. We also have the same capability for solid media for bacteria. That was just recently, um, I think this week was our first run or bacteria from solid media. We are looking for to expand um, the bacteria identification and microbacteria identification from blood culture models, mostly blood culture models. So when we have an organism that we see in the bottle or rapid PCR doesn't identify any isolate, any specific organism, and they fail to grow in solid media or um, we have challenge for identification, we're gonna be able to go through this broth in the bottle, positive blood culture, and um, with a process that um, we are developing in-house, being able to do the sequencing directly from the model. So, so far, uh, we're still in the process of trying. I believe we probably can do five for once. Um, so I think we have enough capability in the flow cell to be able to do that. So that's a median application that we're trying to look for, to expand with the bacteriology and AFP. Um, we also are looking for uh, um, ca uh, candidates of specific yeast and molds. So we were... We explore the, the, the option to be able to sequence candida ovaries. So we, can, we were able to sequence few isolates for candida ovaries and over a different approach, but also see the process with or NGS. We're going to use a very similar process to bacteriology for candida or for yeast, um, but we're going to use a similar process for AFU for molds. Um, mold will be the next step for us. Uh, we know that many facilities that have a mycology lab. We're lucky now they have an excellent mycology team, highly, um, a lot of expertise in that area. But we know that many molds are challenged. They're still identified um, morphologically, microscopy, um, using microscopy, and some of them only identified to genetic level. So we are trying to see how can we integrate routinely NGS for molds and being able to expand the knowledge of these different species that we have in our city. Um, Direct sample, that will be the next challenge for us, being able to implement a cost-effective, rapid, whole genome sequencing from direct sample. Uh, and we're talking about high-quality sample. Some specific biopsy tissue, um, and probably um, BAL, and even NGS on, on CSF. So we're still exploring different type of sample with different matrix. Um, 
we want to try to see if uh, how the capability that we have in house is able to do that. One of the challenge is having probably a more robust, um, comprehensive database. So that's something that we're also trying to explore, especially for your example, we know that could be a little bit more challenge. But this is just the beginning. We're expanding not only our capability or our uh, solutions for organisms, but we're also looking for this year to expand the NGS capability with more instrumentation and, and even some of this. Definitely. So definitely, you know, very uh, exciting times to be a, a, a microbiologist with all the things that go and, and you know, we see how how much growth the field is doing. And if you find yourself in a place like, you know, like, like our lab or, or others like that, you know, you get to experience that. And that's, you know, that's, that's amazing. And for that, you know, building on that, before I open the question, the the floor for any final thoughts, um, you know, I wanted to ask Daniel, you know, just, just like a lot of the audience listening in, just like myself, you know, we're medical laboratory scientists, you know, we work on the bench, we do all this work. And sometimes, you know, all these terms, you hear them and then maybe think, oh, you know, just you're thinking more of like a scientist in a lab, you know, PhD level, and you got to work with all this. So how has this experience, you know, has, what's the impact that it's had on you as a, as a medical lab scientist and microbiologist? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was, it was definitely an interesting process. It was uh, probably uh, over like a year, two year process validation that we did. Um, so it's funny, uh, when Dr. Alexander first, uh, introduced the, the idea of gene sequencing, I think he posted it on a, on a LinkedIn post or something. Uh, he was like, uh, saying, oh, um, you know, Daniel's going to be in charge of implementing gene sequencing into our, our laboratory. And when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I, I don't know anything about <laughs> DNA sequencing or, or, you know, genomics, anything like that. Um, so I was like, oh man. So I started, you know, started studying up on stuff and and researching everything and um and definitely the initial training that nanopore provided it was like a, the first introduction to it which they introduce you to all the different terms as far as all the data like uh, fast q fast five all these different uh all the different terms so it was a great introduction to it and from there that's when um because we started really the day after we started testing and um we started following the protocols and from there i just started really just uh doing a lot of research, uh, took a lot of different forums and, and YouTube and a lot of different uh, avenues. But uh, overall, at the end of it, I feel pretty comfortable in, in, that, in, that, in that subject, at least at a, a, you know, a beginner stage. But um, for the regular microbiologists, you know, they, they're not really, I guess you wouldn't be too aware of all the different um, terms and because and, it is kind of like a whole different world you're looking into. So. That could be, I guess, a little bit of a challenge, but not really a challenge, just the first step. It's just a, a step of uh, learning everything, catching up to, uh, to all the different terms and, and, and that side of the, the, the field. But, but overall, it's, it's, it's super interesting once you really start uh, looking into it. And um, for me personally, it's been, it's been great. I, I, I never knew in, back in school, I really uh, uh, did not enjoy this part of the, the, the class. But now that I've learned it, it's really probably one of my favorite parts, one of the favorite things that I've done in my career is definitely uh, very uh, fulfilling and and especially bringing into it, bringing it to the lab and uh, validating it and now train, I'm starting to train uh, some of our staff, I'm starting to introduce the concept to everybody. Um, every time we have a run or something interesting, I will go into our, our, our technologists and I will tell them about it and um, 
give them a little review of what we found that week. So I'm already starting to kind of introduce it to them. But um, yeah, it's been definitely fulfilling, especially seeing once I start training and I start uh, people start seeing uh, or implemented it into the routine uh, protocols. And it's definitely a uh, very rewarding process. And I definitely enjoyed it a lot. Indeed, right? Just Well, I still remember um, the first round that, that, that we did. Um, we knew the organism that we were putting in the in this sequencing. Um, and when the result came back, I said, wow, all of them match. So it seems like the sequencing is working. So um, that was the beginning. But I think that's an interesting question, Luis, and what you mentioned is, it's true. You don't have to be a PhD. You don't have to. Um, medical laboratory science, right? Um, many laboratories. Sadly, we are working sometimes with low staffing, high volume, and we just working on the bench 24 7 uh, doesn't work, right? So, even in some laboratory, it can become like a factory. You go in, you work, and you leave. So, that's all that you do. But one of the things that we try to do in Aving Health is to make sure that we just work at that point. I mean, like, that's important. That's all the patient that we have. We have to do it. But I think that was important for us to, to be able to, everybody to be involved. Um, in your case, um, you are or quality control. Um, yeah. So you are responsible for the quality control in having a laboratory. So that's that's a large responsibility, something that I'm sure that you've been learning more and more and more and become natural. So this type of position is needed for microbiology laboratory. So being able to have the type of expertise and focus. And the same thing happened with NGS. So it's cool for medical laboratory science teaching the, the basic of microbiology. And still, many of those schools are teaching the old way. They don't have access to some of the technology that we have. And then we ask those technologies coming, or those medical lab science coming to laboratory, clinical laboratory, to implement this technology they never saw before. So I think one point is, you don't need to be a PhD. You just need to have the, the willpower and the interest to learn and being able to do it. Of course, in the clinical setting, we also have to have all the regulatory process around, right? And that's part of also where my role comes to play. I wanna make sure that everything that we do here is under, under the regulatory process. Um, we are doing things that will improve patient care. It's not gonna cause any harm to them, but we are the, the expert in microbiology. So we've been working on the laboratory for years. We know how the laboratory works, we know what, we, we have a, a, a capability to apply a reasonable approach approach to different new techniques. So I think this is key for every laboratory. And that would be great if the microbiology field, the clinical laboratories, the medical laboratory scientists, they don't just pull themselves back because they don't have a PhD. They don't pull themselves back because they don't have research experience. I'm a physician, I don't really have a lot of research experience, but I mean, the team, the team that we have here in Athens Health, everybody just come together and we look for solutions. And that thing has a plan. And always having a goal, patient care first. Um, that could be only for improving the patient of the, the, the care of the patient, or could be actually to improving the financial of the department that can allow us to bring more um, solutions for patients in the future. So as a medical laboratory science, we have the knowledge, we have the expertise, and I think we just need to take ownership of the laboratory. So I think that's that's the key. Well said. Yes, definitely. You know, there's 
we have the the capability and a lot of people fortunately you know they're not aware of our profession and what we do and that's something that we're working on but definitely bringing that awareness of, of the impact of the work that we we do and 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 you know how that benefits the patients and yeah we can just with projects like this and we can do this type of work and, and people need to know that and it is great and like anything in, in life you know it just it takes work and it takes education and just like daniel did you know doing the research and and you know becoming prepared for this you know it's something that we all can do so those of you that are listening out there you know it's very possible you just have to do the work and i said it before and that's the secret to being a a good microbiologist and a great one is just you know repetition and education so it's just that's something that we need to you know and then looking back that and right just i saw you the other day at work you know you were doing like a, a blast and i'm like you know when a few years ago, when would you think or that you will be doing something like that? And then, and me, I just finished a class of seeing someone doing it. And I'm like, oh, you're doing blast. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that. So it's definitely amazing, you know, how far, uh, you know, we can grow in this job and our knowledge and, and, and our education. So it's just, it's just amazing. Um, is there anything else that either of you want to add? Uh, no, not really. Just, uh, just thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a, my first podcast. So this is definitely a, a fun experience. Yeah, AGS has definitely um, been su super fun to work with. We started with uh, HB organisms. Now we've moved on to bacteria. So we're already starting to, to see organisms that we weren't able to identify before. We're starting to see how uh, there may be some emergent pathogens or something that we weren't able to recognize before. So we've already started to see that. And, you know, just with that, we've already started. Um, we have so many ideas for NGS. We have so many different avenues that we could go in. It's, it's going to be very exciting. And this is really just the beginning of our NGS, uh, NGS project as we're, we're, we're looking to do so many things with this. And it really opens up our, our possibilities. So but thank you so much, Luis. Definitely my pleasure. It was So thank you, Luis. I think, that's, um, I think this is a great opportunity. Um, to show our results or work. As Daniel mentioned, this has been an amazing project. The other thing with NGS for us is NGS doesn't live in a bubble. Um, anything that coming out from the NGS result is we don't take it as a as paid value. So it's important for us to do the clinical uh, microbiological correlation. If the organism morphologically doesn't match with the NGSA, we have to go, you know, you have to Google how are the morphology, what are the biochemical to try to match. If we don't have that correlation, we question the NGS. So the microbiological experience and, and information that we are always, we have experienced for years, also trump what is coming from the NGS. So, and I think that is important. That's what makes us also make the implementation of NGS in a clinical micro lab. When you also perform routine microbiology, so you have that connection. So the NGS, because the NGS says it, doesn't mean that it's true. We always question it, and I think that's the key. Question what we see, but also the NGS can open the world, the, the way for us to see the routine microbiology that we have. Just like Daniel mentioned, we, we have a new isolate that we never saw before. It's a catalyst positive streptococcus. So it's been described, but as the, the way the microbiology has been thinking on the bench, I mean, ADS probably will put some challenge for us to chase that. And I think that's welcome, right? So that kind of opened the opportunity for us to move a little beyond what we know and, and expand that capability. 
Um, and this is in multiple areas. So um, we really appreciate the opportunity that you give us to be able to share with, with everyone our experience. Definitely a, a pleasure having you on. Let's talk micro a little. Thank you for taking the time. And what a great message to close with. And that's something that you know I talk a lot about in the podcast. And with instrumentation and testing, uh, you know, I talked about how sometimes you know we become to rely on things like Molotov, and but the correlation of the organism, just because you're getting that ID doesn't mean hey, you know, Maldi ID it. Uh, so it's all good, you know, right? You have to make sure that the whole thing matches, that it fits the profile. And that's a challenge that we have as people might become a little complacent with technology and that's something that we need to keep in the back of their mind. You know, it's just, we have to make sure, right? We're putting that idea out there. You know, we're impacting the life of a patient. That's what we do it for. So we have to be very careful with things like this. So uh, once again, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to being on Let's Talk Micro. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about next generation sequencing. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. Stay tuned. Great things coming your way. Another episode of the AMR subseries, eventually the Spanish subseries as well. Thank you so much for the support. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. You do such great work. So, as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.